Hey guys, welcome back to Mentors Among Us. I am your host, Bradley. And today I host another host or ex-host who used to be on BFM. It's gonna sound like I'm trying to put my guests on the pedestal, but this guy is one of the dream guests I've always had when I first started this podcast. And this guy is none other than Mr. Roshan Kanison. You might have heard him on air on BFM's Ringgits and Sense, which is which has been a very important partner in my journey of personal finance. 2018, I was lost. I had no idea how I should grow my wealth. I was making decent income as a fitness trainer. I was trying to dabble into coaching and I had zero knowledge about growing my wealth besides just putting money into FD and EPF. But having stumbled upon his podcast with Stash Away, I think it was Freddy on Stash Away, uh, it really made me put me down this path of like figuring out how to best grow my wealth and to make sure that I get to live, I suppose, my 50-year-old, 60-year-old life in relative financial freedom rather than trying to still slog through life to make make ringgits and cents, you know? Dream guests, yes, I know it's going to sound awkward and cheesy, but in this podcast, we talk a bit about what he does, uh, his past life before BFM and what he's going to do next. But we talk a little bit more about who he actually is. We talk about his health condition. Roshan has a pacemaker in his heart. We talk about how he battled through it, through expression, through blogging, through blogging, through social media. Also, we talk about imposter syndrome, which is something that surprisingly, right, he says he struggles with and I certainly struggle with as well. This is like take five of me trying to get my words together. So if you're watching this on YouTube, I do want to apologize that there's a little bit of um, video and audio missing. Certain segments, our voice, or my voice in, in large part, right, is still a little bit unsynced with my mouth movement. But the star of the podcast is Roshan, so if you're on Spotify, it's not a big issue for you. Things are going to be hunky-dory. Lastly, of course, I suppose a mandatory request for everyone on YouTube. Like, subscribe, click the bell, follow me on my social media, and follow Roshan, of course, on his social media to check out what he's up to next. I had a lot of fun in this conversation with Roshan, and I hope you do too while listening to it. Thank you, and stay safe. Hey, Roshan. Hey, man. Um, excited to have you. I'm also nervous to have you because I'm 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 nervous because this is my first post BFM real interview. So uh, I'm like, okay, how does how is this going to be on the other side? This is going to be <laughs> as intense as the grills that you've always done to all your guests in the morning. Okay. Oh, this is karma, is it? Yeah, yeah. Somewhat. It's a request from all the guests that you've grilled. I, I, I was having a kind of mental jujitsu on where I want this podcast to go, how I want it to be and all that. It's a lot of pressure I always put on myself. Um, but I decided to let the wisdom of the crowd decide how I should begin this podcast. <laughs> so I asked on Instagram, basically, and I tagged you, right? Uh, what questions yes. do you want to ask, Roshan? I have a few. Uh, maybe I'll skip a few that's a little bit odd. Uh, why are you so handsome? Why are your beard so nice? Those legit came in. No joke, man. But one that Joanna gave, I think it's a, a fun way to start, right? And she says that your skin is amazing. What do you use as huh? skincare? <laughs> Serious. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is a really, really funny. It, it's actually quite a fun way to start because I've been using the same face wash for the last, how old am I? 31 now? Started when I was 18 or 17. So 14 years, if my math is correct, 13 okay. years. It is the Himalayan Neem face wash. That's pretty much the only thing I use. Um, that's really it. That's okay. really all I do. 
Um, maybe it's all the collagen I drink with my bulletproof coffee. Maybe that helps as well. <laughs> oh, wait, collagen, your bulletproof coffee. So add yes, I. Yes, so uh, if, for those who don't know what bulletproof coffee is, it's basically um, butter, uh, coconut oil, or a derivative of coconut oil called MCT oil or something like that, blended together in coffee. And then mm. you can also add collagen, which is what I do. Um, and collagen is supposedly supposed to have like. Uh, helps joints but also helps skin enhance stuff like that maybe that's part of the solution i don't know i'm not a i'm not a medical expert here um i was just mostly doing it for the supposed joint uh the supposed joint health and stuff like that okay, okay. Um, but hey yeah all right yeah i will be sure to get the links to the products that you mentioned put it into the comment section for whoever's interested to upgrade their skin game and their joint <laughs> game i suppose okay roshan um <laughs> For a lot of the regular Ringgit and Sense fans, uh, BFM listeners, we know you as the Roshan Kanisen, uh, the sexy voice on BFM wow. at 10 a.m. <laughs> every Thursday morning. But for me, right, at least for me, you've just popped into the scene uh, and then you just became kind of like the de facto voice of uh, financial literacy on mainstream radio. I'm sorry if I'm That's putting you pressure. on the spot here, man. That's a lot of pressure, man. <laughs> um, and it's true. And uh, just, just uh, I think I told you this, right? I first heard your interview with the Stash Away founder. I think that mm. got me really into the deep rabbit hole of investing, putting my money aside, uh, learning how to grow my wealth beyond just the traditional FDs or whatever it is. Uh, but let's just rewind a little bit, uh, way, way, way before that. So I'd like to know, the origin story of our financial hippo, uh, financial superhero, Roshan Kanisan. <laughs> uh, what's the past life like before you became this, uh, this radio, this hero on, of ours on the airwaves? Well, that's a long story, Bradley. I don't know how much time you have, but there are multiple phases to this story, right? And uh, first and foremost, uh, calling me hero and all these different things. Thank you so much. That's a super high praise and compliment. I don't think I deserve it, but thank you very much anyway. <laughs> Um, okay, cool. So maybe we'll start with pre-BFM, right? So let's mm. talk about, um, you know what? I'm going to just do a quick run through because it's important. So I'm not going, I'm going to skip all the, from born to school. Okay. I'm going to start at SPM, right? Finish SPM. <clears throat> I, I got my A's. I was going to go to, uh, for those who know the UWC, uh, what UWC is, I was supposed to go to the United World College in India, known as the Mahindra United World College. I went there. Uh, it's a two-year course called mm. the International Baccalaureate. I only did 18 months of it because I felt really sick uh, and I had to come back home. So that really was the biggest like change in my life. That moment was probably chapter three of my life where it was just downhill for a few years. It was really bad. My health was really bad. Um, we didn't know what it was. Uh, it was started off with a thing called mycoplasma pneumonia, which is also known as walking pneumonia. Mm. But because it wasn't diagnosed early enough, it caused some damage. Uh, to my body and my lungs and stuff like that and later on it, this was probably uh, 2009 late 2009 i was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome mm. uh, my doctor here said come back home i dropped out of uh, college and came back and really quite feeling like a failure right because at the end of the day uh, a lot of it was done to myself um, i wasn't responsible with the way i was behaving i wasn't taking on my health i was uh, you know, I was trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? Everyone was up late and partying and things like that. And that really impacted my health. Um, so this sets a new chapter in my life because everything became about my health. So I mentioned Bulletproof Coffee earlier. 
that's where this came into my life a few years down the line. So I came back home feeling actually looking back pretty damn depressed, uh, feeling like a failure and slowly just trying to get my feet back into the game, right? And this is why when I interned at BFM, I was 27 years old um, when I interned at BFM, 26, 27. That's pretty late. That's because I graduated uni in 26 uh, when I was 26. So as you can see, this is why I'm bringing up the health things because everything got pushed back by two or three years. Um, so I came back, I went to Taylor's CPU, uh, Taylor's Canadian Pre-U. I did that. Uh, I think it was a year, it's a one-year program. Then I joined Monash, all the while kind of trying to manage the uh, the what was later re-diagnosed as fibromyalgia. Mm. So managing that, um, I found ways to help and it, a lot of it was nutrition and diet and things like that. And bit by bit, I got better, but <clears throat> there were always, if you open up a graph of the stock market, you will, you will see like the, it's always going up, you're getting better, but yep. there are always going to be crashes in between, right? It's not a straight line up. And that was pretty much how I've, my recovery has been for the last 10 years. It's, it always went up, but there were times when it was really just slumped down. Um, so I went, I started in Monash Business School 10 years ago, exactly, July, 2011. Okay. And that degree took me around four or five years because I had to take an intermission in between. Health got bad. I took only three units a semester. Graduated in 2016. Pro honestly, honest to God, one of my proudest moments of my life, really, mm. because I didn't think I was going to make it. I honestly didn't think I was going to make it. I, at one point, I told my dad, why am I doing this? Shouldn't I just like, why don't you, why, shouldn't I do something else? And he, all he said to me was, you just have to get through this. This is a test for you and your resilience. And wow. this getting through this is going to be important for you because if you don't do it, it's going to haunt you, not anyone else. It's going to haunt me. Okay. Um, and being able to do something like that is important and all of that. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but that's basically what it came down to. So finished uni. And while I was in Monash, I was vlogging. I think you may be familiar yeah, with yeah. this. I, I want to say everyone should go check it out. Is uh, <laughs> I'm at block 150 uh, right now. If I'm saying 150. Oh, it's so cringy. Yeah. It's so cringy. And you oh said your 26th birthday. I think it's 150, <laughs> yeah. It's yes. really good. So it, I think it's really authentic. So, <laughs> so sorry to sorry cut you off there. Go ahead. No, 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 please. Um, and if I'm talking too much, you should let me know as well. <laughs> you're the, whole, you're the um, guest today, man. Go ahead. Uh, so, so part of the vlog was mm. my creative expression as well, right? Because when I was sick with the fibro, uh, when it was really bad, I went to Instagram. And this is my old account. It's not active anymore. But I was pretty much just expressing myself there. Mm. So I've always had this knack for expression and communication. So this was focused on the fibromyalgia. I was connecting with other people through hashtags uh, online who were also facing fibromyalgia, who were dealing with it differently. And whatever said and done, I have a certain level of privilege, right? Because my parents were able to help me, were able to support me monetarily and were able, we were able to try all these different kinds of like, oh, okay, let's try organic food. Oh, let's try uh, natural foods. Oh, let's do this. Let's do that. So I decided mm. to share that online, right? So I was sharing every day what I was eating, what I was doing, making detailed logs every single day. That was the, and before Instagram, sorry, there was the vlog, I was the, there, was a, there was a blog. So there were always iterations. There was the blog where I was expressing myself, translated over to Instagram because there was more community and interaction. And mm. also people could keep, could keep an eye on me, really. That's like, because I wasn't comfortable telling people in person, but I was okay with writing it in, in, on Instagram. And my parents and my family could like, okay, this is how he's feeling now. That later transitioned over to the vlog. And there are a multitude of influencers involved here. But one of them, of course, was Casey Neistat, 
who was very influential at that point. Uh, and he gave me the, basically it was, don't use the excuses of the tools in front of you as a reason to procrastinate. Just get yeah. started and then build up from there, right? Hence, you did it with an iPhone. Uh, yes, I did it with the iPhone 5S front-facing camera. <laughs> so if you watch vlog one, it's terrible. It's so bad. But but it's it started somewhere, right? That's, that's where the journey starts off. Because mm. I wanted to try and use that platform to merge. Because uh, I was trying to... I was trying to write about business issues and stuff like that, but I was having a very hard time expressing it in written form. I'm, I'm a much better person. I'm a much better communicator in person, in talking, in video and things like that. Not as good when it comes to the written word. So that's when I thought, okay, let's make the transition over to vlog. Um, uh, I want to eventually start okay. talking about business and money and stuff like that. So that was the goal. But I started with it about the fibro because that was what I knew at that point. And it was the first 90 days was daily. Uh, every day I would put up a video no matter what. And again, it was a test of resilience and all of that. Then it became more like a daily vlog sort of situation. Fast forward a year after that. So we are now in early 2017. Yeah. And uh, I'm done with, uh, I'm done with uni. Um, <clears throat> I know I'm about to apply for jobs and all these sort of things. And, uh, I had about, I decided to take a, to visit my cousins over in Australia, in Sydney. And I was like, okay, I can also vlog this, right? Let me, let me go there. Let me vlog some of this. And, um, let me take like a six week break there. Let me just, I want to go and have this little adventure before I start join the working world and never have six week breaks ever again. And at this point I was having a lot of fun with the vlogs because I was, you know, being a bit experimental with my editing. It was getting a bit more, not music video like, but more produced in a certain yeah, way. Yeah. Still very basic, but better. Um, when I was in Australia, I kind of just said, you know what, why am I doing this anymore? Because, you know, it, the point was to get to a, uh, to a place where I'm not going to be a travel vlogger. I, I'm, I want to be someone who's talking about issues and business and finance and all these different things. Even then I knew I had the ability to break things down. How do I translate that over to um, the internet basically? And eventually the, the thought that came to my mind was, oh, you know what? Let me intern with BFM. Mm. Uh, I know, I know the station does business. They're, they're known for this. Maybe I can learn how to produce content there. At least no, because I was trying to write it out and I just had no clue where to begin. That's where it all started really. So it was just all little steps here. And 10 years ago, I had no idea I'd be doing this. Uh, 10 years ago, um, I was just trying to get through the days at that point. So it's been a very, very interesting story. And even my next chapter, uh, if you want to get into, is also just, you know, it, it's sort of happening. Um, I believe in having plans. I think it's important to know where you want to go, mm -hmm. but it's also important to kind of understand that for every, for every path that you want, there are going to be alternate timelines, right? And to borrow Loki, they're going to be variants okay, okay. as well. It's very so, Loki, uh, Doctor Strange. Yeah, it's very, it's very Loki, right? Because at the end of the day, <laughs> I'm looking at it. Okay. I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. Okay. Right. I want to do this, but what happens if I have to go here? It branches off into this. Okay, cool. It's a kind of like a game, like you're gaming it out, but mm. not in too much theory, uh, not in too much detail. Cause that would just drive you insane. It's yeah. Um, in case you couldn't tell them also a little bit of an overthinker as well. So that is a really long answer to your question. And I hope it addressed I love the, long answers. The, the, the spirit of what you were asking. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And I, I want to say this spirit is also something that I felt a lot of and I see a lot of in, uh, in your blog. 
and I know the the hashtag uh, or the phrase "keep moving forward" is something that you you truly live by. Is it still yeah. something that 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 is important to you these days? Uh, it is. It is okay. still really important to me. And in fact, I'm not sure if you can see it, but that little orange plaque over there was created from a from a, by a friend of mine for me. And it, all it says is it says "keep moving forward." Um, yeah, keep moving forward was the mantra I kept holding on to when the days were dark. Um, this was probably around. 2014, 2013, uh, I was between the ages of 23 and 25. Mm -hmm. uh, it was in and out of being pretty, pretty dark at that point. Why would you say so? Uh, what, what, what was what was um, what was happening during that time that made it such a struggle or dark time? Oh, it was the it was the fibromyalgia. It was just nothing seemed to be working. There didn't mm -hmm. seem to be a lot of hope. Um, and my biggest concern was the fact that um, if I'm going to be living like this forever, uh, am I ever going to be able to be independent? Mm -hmm. Uh, am I ever going to be able to take care of myself? I mean, at some point, I need to work and earn for myself and do all these different things. I can't rely on my parents forever, you know? So that was what was happening. I was just stuck in that point because I was like, um, for those who don't know, um, fibromyalgia is basically a condition of uh, where you've got a bunch of symptoms, which includes things like uh, chronic pain, uh, chronic fatigue, brain fog, a, a lot of things that a lot of people are actually facing on a day-to-day -day nowadays. But when you clump them all together, uh, they they qualify it as uh, fibromyalgia. And there's a, there is a test they do where they test your, your uh, what they call tender points or trigger points. And if it hurts, then this is an issue. Uh, so I was facing all these things on an almost daily basis. And every time, every time things got better, um, there was always a time where the stock market crashed, so to say, right? In terms of the Russian Kaisen stock index fell and I would have to, it felt like, it felt like one step forward and two steps back. So it had, I had to, sometimes that struggle felt very hard. It felt like, why am I doing this? And honestly, the reason I did it was because of the people around me. That's really what it was. It came down to that, right? I have a lot of loved ones around me mm. and to do anything else, if, the ulteriors were not beneficial to them uh, and would have been very selfish of me. So keep moving forward with the mantra I kept telling myself and it helped in the long run. Uh, I just had to keep reminding myself that life is a, life is a series of dots on our graph, right? Like we learned this in, uh, I think he said at Math of Math back in school. And you want to trace a line of best fit through those points. Mm. That's what you want. And you want the line to be upward traject, upward trending, but it's not going to be going to be a straight line. You're gonna hit you here for a little bit, then you're gonna fall. That that sort of it's it's a bit self-development, wishy-washy, but for me it really helped. Uh it was very important uh mm. for me then. Um but also the expression, I think. I got a lot of support from a lot of people morally. Um and you have an amazing family, I just gotta say. Uh yeah, would, yeah, would yeah, you highlight great. that in your blogs? Uh, we drive each other insane, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the super supportive. I mean, uh, they sent me a cheese board. Uh, my parents sent me a cheese board uh, on my last day in the oh, office farewell. on Friday for my farewell. And just to be pranksters, they said, "Dear, hold on, let me pull out the card because I co I have it here by coincidence." Um, well, I don't know whether you can see this. Oh, yeah, right. Wow. And then they say. And then they put from your fans. So, so they're trying to prank me. Yeah. So I was like, I, so I initially took a picture of it. I sent it to my girlfriend thinking that she got it from me. Mm. 
And then she said, no, I'm getting you something else. Said, oh, <laughs> then who got this for me? This is oh. my, it's your parents. Like, Brangless first, like, your mom and dad. Oh. So when, even when I sent the picture and mm. sent it into the family WhatsApp group, they were like, oh, who sent it? I was like, the jig is up, guys. I know it's you. <laughs> like, oh, so your girlfriend exposed yeah. them? Yes. Oh, yes, okay, she did. Okay. Nice. So good Thank to have you. someone on your, your side <laughs> tell you the truth. Yeah. Dude, but I, uh, I wanna, yeah, they're very back. supportive. Thanks for thanks for that cap. Thanks for the very open story. Um, hey, no worries, man. And uh, just one caveat that Bradley had said. Um, I like to be open about these things because I think it's important. Yep. To sometimes we hide behind these walls of like we have to be invincible and it's not healthy. Mm. And I'm so happy that mental health is becoming a much more talked about issue because I didn't talk about this back then, and I had some really dark days. Uh, writing helped me a lot because people knew what kind of moods I was in and stuff like mm. that. But the expression helped me. And I think it's important for people to find what helps them. And acknowledging those feelings is really important. So, yeah, um, if you could put yeah. some, maybe some links to like uh, the befrienders and stuff in the comments, in the description. Just, you know, okay. if anyone is feeling any distress, things like that, especially now because things are so tough, um, seek help. Right? You are not alone. There are many people who, have go, who are going through this. That feeling of isolation doesn't have to be you alone. Yep. And yeah, I, think, just, yeah. I think a key theme in, in your story that you just said is uh, expression, self-expression. I think through writing, through filming, uh, through your experience on radio as well. I think holding things back is... Uh, you just pen, Things get pent up and it swells and it swells and it breaks. It's, it's not good for anyone, right? Yeah. Yep. So I was just wondering, right? You're a very authentic person. I can hear it immediately through the first five <laughs> minutes in our conversation. Through any of your vlogs, you are truly open. Um, and this is going to be a question for later, but I'm just going to bring it up. Lah. Is authenticity easy or permitted when you're on air? Because I feel mm-hmm. like, hey, you are, you, I'm attracted to you as a creator, as a person, because I know kind of like the Roshan Karnison outside of BFM, somewhat through your blog. And I feel like when you're on air, you have like a, what's the word? You have a responsibility to, to uphold an image for BFM. How do, you, how do you balance that? How do you balance that need for self-expression for being Roshan Karnison versus being Ringgit and Sense Roshan Karnison or Breakfast Grills Roshan Karnison? Oh, this is a, this is a great question. Um, do you want to answer it now or do you want to go? Uh, answer it now. It, it's okay. like this right, this cool. podcast can go anywhere, bro. <laughs> All right, so... That's a great point and that's a great question because you're right. Um, I think there were concerns over my age and my, my kind of demeanor and my attitude that would be maybe not suitable for the morning run. That's why hmm. about ringing and sense, of course, is uh, the more suitable one for me because of the, the energy I bring to it and, my, and of course my interest. But the demographic as well, I think there's always going to be a concern when you put someone younger on air that they're not going to identify, that the, that their listener base isn't going to identify with them, right? So let's say you take a look at like um, like the Astro radio stations, Hits, Mix and Light. They each cater to a different age group, right? So Hits is for the younger demographic, Mix is for the adult, the mid, the young adult to maybe the late 35s, Light caters to the older demographic. And it's it's all come down to like, a, it's targeted, it's it's uh, it's well, it's uh, fragmented, not fragmented, but split demographics, right? So BFM caters to this supposed business crowd, the C-suite, the the young professionals. So there's always going to be that. But the thing is, this is also how the young professional sounds today, right? 
So you can, that's why we have a, a, a variety of ages on the show as well. So uh, you're always able to identify with someone. Uh, in terms of the authenticity, of course, there are going, there's going to be a difference in tone, right? Mm. In terms of the, there are, there's also a certain level of like confidence because you're broadcast. Like the vlog is mine, right? The, my social media is mine. I control the editorial there. I also control the messaging and the, uh, the tone. But you're right. On BFM, there is a specific tone. There is a, or at least there is a, there is a professionalism about it, right? I'm doing a job. Uh, but you can bring your personality to it. I think everyone is encouraged to, but of course, there's a responsibility to uh, make sure that it's in line with the tone that the show is trying to achieve, editorially speaking, anyway. So I do try to be authentic as much as I can. It took me a few. It took me some time because uh, I, I'm it, on Ringy and Sense. I'm, I'm, that's pretty much me. But on air, The Daily Show, it took me some time because it's really just about confidence. And for most of it, I just felt like I didn't deserve to be there. I felt hmm. um, a serious amount of imposter syndrome being on air. I, I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, the live show, the live morning show every day. But a part of me always felt like I didn't deserve to be there. I'm not as qualified. I don't have the the knowledge and the experience that, that Noel Lim or Kusu Chuang or uh, Wong Xiaoning have, right? So that always kind of, maybe it was just in my head, uh, but that's always something that kind of, uh, not bothered me, but it was always like an overhang. Uh, yeah. You went up to uh, recently, would you say, or? Yeah, I would say, um, I would say up till recently. And you know what? The funny thing is, um, after I resigned, there was a weight off my shoulders in the sense that I was like, you know what? I'm leaving now. Let's see, let's see how people respond to my tone. And I felt a bit more freer. Um, and again, I have to say, it's not like BFM put any restrictions on me, be like, like, oh, you can't say this or you can't say that. Mm. It was in my head, a lot of it. Uh, lack of confidence, a lack of, oh, are people going to like me? Are people going to appreciate this tone? Or are they just going to think I'm a young punk who doesn't know what I'm talking about? Because the thing is, you don't get the good comments, you get the bad ones online, right? So we used to get emails um and some of them weren't pretty and i got a few so it really does and the thing is it looked like it was from one person but still a negative comment is a negative comment and it really does mess with your head a little bit and it shakes your confidence uh, but towards the last few weeks of BFM, i really enjoyed myself in terms of like it was you know what i'm going to do the best i can with the time i have here i'm going to enjoy every minute of it because i and Bullshit aside, um, sincerely, every minute on air, especially when I'm anchoring, is just such an amazing time because, I mean, I, I love keeping people company on the radio waves. Again, it's that exp it's, it comes back to that expression, right? Mm. To that, to that um, I like expressing myself. I like communicating with people, um, even if it's only a one-way communication. Uh, in the sense, uh, I'm still communicating with people in the studio. So... It was always very, very enjoyable. And I know this is a bit of a rambly point here, but it really did play into it. So yeah, I tried to be uh, as authentic as I can. And that's the luck of the draw is that the content is really up my alley, right? So I don't have to pretend I'm something I'm not. So you're really interested. Like, You've always been very interested in personal finance and personal development. So personal finance, your... personal development, but also money in general, right? Mm. Um, business and finance and economics and all of these things. And even even when I was a kid, 
and my dad and um, his friends, who are all, uh, a lot of them are journalists, are journalists, would sit around in the house and they would be talking about politics and it's like, Anwa Mahate, Anwa Mahate, you know? And, well, that's still happening today. Yeah, but, same names. Uh, <laughs> same names. This was what? I was oh six, seven God. years old, so 24 years ago. Wow, yeah. And I would sit there, I would sit there and listen and be like, oh, that's very interesting. Uh, and I swear to God, I must have been six or seven. Like, mm. I was a very capo kid, okay? Even when I was supposed to go to sleep, I'd be like listening around the corner, you know, okay, no one knows I'm here. I always found it interesting because um, it was, and I can't explain why. I really okay, cannot explain okay. why. Uh, I've tried to psychoanalyze this everywhere I can, but it was just an avid curiosity about the world around me and what makes the world run. And then later on, I kind of re realized that yes, politics and power runs the world, but so does money. And because that's, I guess, where my fascination mm. with all of it came into the picture. Um, and that's why the, I guess the content resonates with me because I'm very curious and about these things. And it is, yeah, just a perpetual trying to understand yep. these kind of uh, phenomena. If I'm not using the right words here, but I, I hope you understand the spirit of where I'm getting at. <laughs> right, understood. Totally, 100%. What, one thing I want to go back to is I hmm. feel, and you mentioned being someone with fibro. Um, you mentioned in your blog that, hey, uh, energy fluctuation is a very common occurrence of yours. And I would assume yeah. that would lead to, of course, some form of mood swings or emotional emotional struggle as well, would you say? Mm -hmm. But Oh yeah, for sure. How is it that the Russian Kanisun that we hear on air, or at least in your vlogs, maybe more on air, like on radio, on a daily show, in your ringgits and cents, you're able to maintain that kind of energy, spirit, enthusiasm, that vigor when you interview your guests, when you're doing a show. I'm really impressed by that because I am... I'm my biggest, I'm my own biggest enemy, to be honest. And mm -hmm. coming to this, I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to interview Roshan today. I need to be kind of on points. Uh, I'm going to time my coffee intake today. I'm going to do a bit of cardio before I see him because if I don't do exercise, I'll be like lethargic. And kind of stuff like that. Like, I am a sucker for kind of creating a prime state for myself. And being in your condition, uh, I can only assume like how much of an uphill battle it is compared to, to me. So I'm curious to know, what's your secret, bro? Wow. Okay, cool. That's a big question. Um, uh, first of all, I want to say that um, I'm also uh, a geek and a nerd that way, you know, priming and things like that and figuring out what works, what doesn't work. Um, that was pretty much my life from 2012 to 2015, 2016. It was perpetual experimentation and to figure out what worked, what didn't work. And ultimately, the long story short for your question can be broken up to two things, right? So the first one I'm going to address is the fact that um, <clears throat> there is something about an interview or a conversation that invigorates me. So right before this, I will be honest with you, I was really tired. Um, I actually had a little bit of a fibro uh, spike over the weekend. That's my fault because on Friday, I drank a lot of wine <laughs> uh, throughout the day and that kind of had it. And I didn't drink enough water. So there was a bit of a dehydrative effect and that kind of messed a lot of things up. Uh, so I was feeling a bit tired and all of that. Mm. But you know, prepping for this and getting it, uh, getting here and starting to talk to you. It's just, it's, it's energized me. Now I may pay for that later in the ter in terms of like in an energy deficit or whatever. I like apologize that. for that. Hey, no worries, man. It's actually honestly my pleasure. Um, I love this. I love talking to people. Um, so yeah, it invigorates me. And that's also the same thing that happens when I'm on the show. 6 a.m., the light goes red, the panel is counting down, three, two, one, 
Energy is up. Let's go. Ring and Sense, same thing. Countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Good morning. You're now listening to Ring and Sense. And it's, it's, it just is what it is, right? It may not be the same for a lot of other things, a lot of other uh, struggles with energy. But that part always... Uh, always just always just triggered something and 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 it always just woke up uh maybe i'm tapping into adrenaline i don't know but uh, we'll see the other one of course is that i spent years trying to find uh and calibrate my food intake and lifestyle so that it could minimize the impact of the fibromyalgia so today i would have to say that the fibro is very very contained it's very manageable doesn't bother me most of the time um i found a few triggers include uh, well high stress of course but um, sugar, high sugar intake, uh, high carb diet. And again, this is just for me. I'm not saying that it applies to everyone else. I found these are triggers for me. Mm. So I primarily try to live by a low carb diet. I do intermittent fasting because that really, really helps me. Um, and that's where the Bulletproof coffee kicks in as well. So that's how I start my days. Those are the, those are the key things, right? Those are the key things that invigorate me. So I've kind of figured out that there are a few habits and keystone keystone habits are really important and that's a phrase i borrowed from james clear. james clear from his book uh, atomic habits which is um someone asked me on instagram over the weekend uh if i could only read one book for the rest of my life it would be it's atomic habits book. every every time i am in a slump every time i feel like uh, <clears throat> things aren't working out i realize it, for me it comes down mm-hmm. to my habits um especially the, how you start the day and how you end the day so things like that uh, tech dis- uh, a tech disconnect of 30 minutes or more really helps as well just to have the, let the brain disconnect when do the- you do that huh? I'm curious I try to do it as much as whenever I can so when I'm working from home um, when I was working from home anyway I would do it in the morning right after the show mm. at 10 a.m. the show ends I take a half an hour break to have breakfast and stuff like that so I'll do it that I keep my phone upstairs I've got my Apple Watch with me, which really, really helps with a lot of things because I can put the timer on here. And I have a, I have an amazing app called Strides that I use that was recommended by Thomas Frank, who's a YouTuber. You can, I think, have seven habits for free, uh, but I pay the 17 ringgit a month for it. I know it's a lot of money. And for me, I find a lot of value from it okay. because that's where I track all my, all my habits, every single one. And I can do it from my phone. So from the water I consume to the uh, how many hours I fast, things like that. These are all the, some of the main barometers. So even the tech disconnect, I, I track it there. And really, it's because I want to see a pattern of behavior and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Okay, so the tech disconnect is also an important one because I, I, I feel like it helps to calm the brain down from mm-hmm. all the dopamine hit you get from your devices and the stimulation around us. Um, and then another one, another important one recently over the last month or so I've been doing is this pre-bed blackout, which is basically um, low lights, uh, no tech, and uh, minimal lights and no tech, basically. And half an hour, I try to do that before bed just to, again, let the melatonin kick in, signal to the brain that, hey, it's time to sleep, bro. Like, no stress, calm down, we can do this. And that's really helped with sleep quality as well. Uh, so these little things, like, and... Actually, now is an interesting time because I've been off the rails the last two, three days because of the all the wine I drank and the lack of water on Friday. So I'm going to have to recalibrate that okay. today, tomorrow, next the next few days. Yeah. Speaking of sleep, uh, right? I, I yeah. know that you sleep at, no, in your blogs, I think 2016. <laughs> bro, you sleep at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. And you were working in a, a pseudo brew and sometimes yes. your shifts are like from 12 to 8. So that's quite yeah. mad. Huh? 
And right now, what's your bedtime like on a typical uh, work, work day? So BFM time, pre-MCO, mm. um, <clears throat> pre-strict lockdown, uh, the show, I mean, during any normal time on a morning run, the show starts at 6 a.m., right? Which means we are in the office at 5, which means I have to wake up at 4. So based on that calendar, I try to sleep at 8 p.m., right? Or eight hours nine, for you. La. At eight hours, la, right? But eight hours is in the bed, right? Then toss and turn. <laughs> By the time I fall asleep, it's probably 8.30 or 9. Uh, but, late, but sometimes I am able to sleep quickly at 8 o'clock. Um, over the last few months, it has been, we start the show at 7. Because, uh, yeah, because yeah, lockdown. Uh, lockdown, people aren't driving, things like that. So we only get in at 6, so wake up at 5. Okay. So with that schedule, I sleep at 9 or 10 a.m. So about 7 to 8 hours of sleep that schedule. I can tell you for a fact that I'm looking forward to having a consistent sleep-wake schedule after this uh, because no matter what, the weekend, I'm not going to be waking up at 4 or 5 a.m. and I'm not going to be sleeping at 8 or 9 p.m. <laughs> so now, for the first time in four years, I can have a even longer because you're right, Sudo Brew also, I had shift work. So mm. in the first time in five years, I can consistently say I'm going to sleep at like 11 p.m. and wake up at 7 a.m. That's all the schedule and keep to it whether it's weekday or weekend. So that's going to be interesting. Bro, I want to say, I always feel like a hundred bucks if I sleep before before 12.30 and wake up at around seven along with the sunrise. I'm not sure what kind of, well, you know, to use your quote, right? Uh, to use your words, wishy-washy, whatever effect it has. I just feel like a hundred bucks. I feel like the whole day starts off on the right foot. But if I sleep at one, yeah. I wake up at nine, then I feel like crap. So I admire when you say that you sleep at eight and wake up at four, that's like probably my 7 a.m. on steroids, so I gotta say. But <laughs> I'm curious, eh? and you say you eat breakfast at uh, after at 10. That's having breakfast after you finish work. Most of us have breakfast before we start work, man. Wow, different worlds. What kind of how, how does that affect your social life? Because it's a very, very different <sighs> lifestyle that you lead. So now we've got to bring the the schedule. We've got the morning round schedule. Yeah. And we also got my health concerns, right? So I have to ensure that I don't push myself too hard. So I have to keep to, that's why I'm, that's why I keep to the, to the 8, 8, the 8 PM, the 9 PM sleeping times for the most part. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes and there are some days I sleep at 10 or 11 and then I suffer the next day. But I try to keep to that because it matters to my physiology okay. and it matters to my ability to sustainably and consistently do what I do. Uh, and I enjoy my work for the most part. So. That's why, I guess that's part of the motivation as well, right? To keep going. Wait, I've lost track of the question again. Question was social life, non-existent. Yes. Existence. Non-existent on the weekday. <laughs> on a weekday, non-existent. Because I, I can't have dinner with my family because they will have dinner at seven or eight or whatever. And I'm ready to go to sleep. Uh, maybe I'll hang out with them around tea time. That's sort of thing. But there's no, you know, back when we can dine out and all of that. There was no, for the most part, there was no hanging out on a weekday unless it was a special occasion, mm. unless it was a really special thing that was worth sacrificing my sleep and potentially uh, flaring up the fibro. Otherwise, it would be Friday, Saturday, and maybe Sundays, right? So that's why I took a lot of, I always pre-planned my weekends and I also took a lot of care with them. So it would be like, at one point, I think I could predict what my weekend was going to be. It would be like uh, Friday night at, or Friday and Saturday night at the, the pub I used to go to all the time called Enclave, uh, Chili Pan Mi, uh, Tonki for lunch the next day. That sort of thing. <laughs> like, there were a few milestones that were always hit. Um, I was doing quizzes. So that was really a lot of fun. So Saturday evenings I used to do 
these uh, geeky uh, quizzes at um, the, the bar I, was, I just mentioned. Mm. So the weekends were really important for recharging, for socializing. socializing. Yeah, for the social recharge, for sure. Mm, okay, okay. I would, I would thought, I, I would have thought that your answer, and this is me always trying to put words into uh, guest's mouth, right? <laughs> would be that hey, once you join BFM, then your gang would be the BFM gang, lah. Would be the eight I mean, PM to four AM kind of gang. Oh no, that that really didn't pan out that way, you know. Okay. Because we're we're all kind of tired <laughs> after the fact. Um, we do do our team our team meetups and stuff like that. Um, but I did have my BFM friends for sure. Um. A lot of them were former interns as well, who became full-timers. Um, but I had friends from across the company. So not necessarily uh, morning runners, but uh, I had friends from Enterprise and News Team, uh, Bigger Picture. Mm. And what we used to do quite often actually was Fridays, I used to stay in the office the whole day. So there, were, there was once I stayed until midnight that day. And mind you, I was in the office at five that day. But that was the kind of thing I really enjoyed socializing these people. So we would hang out in the office or maybe we'd go out to TDI. You know, there are a bunch of places there. Alternatively, of course, is to, on a Friday, is to go home uh, as soon as I can and sleep the afternoon. And spend the and then out. Join, uh, and then join my friends out. Okay. So of course, the pain with that is the fact that traffic sucks at 6 p.m. Uh, back then. Yeah, can you assume how you adjust yourself back on Sunday nights, man? Let's say if Saturday, Friday, you just chill. Painfully. <laughs> okay. Painfully. Okay, for sure. one uh, question before we close hmm. close this section. How much coffee do you drink? Sure. I know you're a huge lover uh, of coffee. I just uh, want to explore that with you. <laughs> um, nowadays, a lot less than I used to. Mm. So part of my habit tracking is to not drink more than two cups of caffeinated coffee a day. Okay. Um, so I try to keep by that. So generally speaking, maybe one cup of coffee nowadays, 90 minutes after I wake up. Because I, I don't want to spike, mm. I don't want caffeine to kind of spike the cortisol, the cortisol naturally uh, spiking all of that. Mm. Um, and then my bulletproof, bulletproof coffee at around 10. However, that doesn't stop my actual coffee consumption because I use decaf after that. Because I really thoroughly do just enjoy the taste of, there, right now, right oh. now, I'm drinking, decaf, <laughs> I'm, drinking de, I'm drinking decaf coffee. And this is unfortunately the gift and the curse of having Nespresso pods because they're so easy to make Convenience. and they're quite good. And they've got a wide range of decaf. So yeah. I sometimes have another like two decaf pods a day. So I'm not caffeinated, but I think it doesn't help with the dehydration. So that's something uh, to pay attention okay. to. Okay. But before that, like especially especially during the wired times when I was... So last year, post Lanka Sheraton uh, and the MCO and all of this, uh, my habits were really bad. So I only I've only gotten back on the habit bandwagon or the habit horse in the last six to eight weeks i've managed to restore quite a lot of the important ones mm. oh but before that for the year or so it was always a struggle getting to it because part of it is one week we're in the office and one week we're working from home so that really um, hampers any ability to kind of start habits and stuff like that and keep them going mm. um so that really did uh, mess with a lot of things so I was just, I was very, very caffeinated and I was drinking way much, way too much coffee. So on the bad days, it could be like four or five cups, honestly speaking. Maybe, um, let's say for example, uh, I get into the studio at 5 or 6 a.m. depending on whether it was MCO or full lockdown or not full lockdown. I'll have one coffee when I get in, maybe another one at 8 o'clock. Yeah. 10 o'clock, <laughs> I have my bulletproof coffee. Then maybe another 11 or 12. So by the time I hit 12 o'clock, I've maybe had like 
four or five cups of coffee. That used to be before. I now regulate it quite okay, a bit okay. because I was getting way, way too wired. Way, way too wired. <laughs> well, but the reason I ask that is because I think in your vlogs, I think you were easily having coffee at like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. sometimes. And I see, I think one of the videos, your dad was also having coffee around that time as well. My so. dad drinks coffee all the time. <laughs> He'll drink caffeinated coffee at 9 p.m. and sleep after. No, I'm crazy fascinated, so, man. How are people able to do that? If I drink coffee at I, 2, I can't. I can't <laughs> sleep till 2 a.m. or something. Oh, man. I think it's it may be a bio, biochemistry thing. Maybe it's a sensitivity to, co- to caffeine. Mm. Maybe the caffeine receptors are not there. I, I have no idea. Uh, but it is really fascinating. I know. I, understand. I feel you on this. Um, but, yeah. Oh, but on the vlog, I used to... Because... Especially if you're talking about my pseudo brew days. Oh, yeah, I used to drink a lot of coffee. Yep, <laughs> Especially yep, when you're a barista, you gotta you gotta taste a lot of uh, espresso <laughs> through the day, man. You gotta calibrate the machine. And um, thanks for reminding me. I completely forgot I was a barista for a little bit of my life. I didn't include that in. Yeah, the, fun fact, everyone. Yeah, so that was right after, uh, as my last year in uni, mm. I uh, I was part timing at pseudo brew. And then when I graduated in between, when I finished in between that and my graduation, I was a finance intern for them, just helping them with the books and oh, stuff like that. Okay. So that was in the, that was the last six months of 2016 for me. So okay. yeah, yeah, that was that part. Yeah. So there was a lot that was going on then. I forgot about that. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> well, I want to say Sudobu probably prepped you for kind of the, the crazy early hours that BFM has installed for you, man. Yeah, they did, I think, to a certain level. I guess the, the preparation for shift work because mm. you're right, one of those shifts is um, 11 p.m. to 8 a.m. And crazy. I did that a few times. Yep, yep. Uh, I think I did one vlog uh, about that entirely, the overnight shift, yep. uh, if I remember correctly. A link to that in the description. I'll paste it in. I'll put it in. Okay. Hey, no need la, ready to link my vlog. <laughs> Promote this guy, Kao Kao, now that he has, uh, he's, left the, he's left the app. Okay, you mentioned you mentioned Lanka Sheraton, and okay, don't worry, mm. I won't, I won't, uh, I won't exclude <laughs> any political affiliation or whatever from you. But uh, it's all it, it has happened two years, one year ago, and it's it's uh, well, happening well, the again. sequel or the third the third act or whatever is happening right now. I find myself very easily agitated, easily mm. triggered. I get freaking pissed at certain mm. news. I'm not going to say what news, but certain news. Fair. And I sometimes those news can really wreck my day, and mm. I can't function. Um, I feel and, and I even wrote the post that my heart rate goes from sixty beats per second to eighty beats per second after like going through the Twitter feed for, for ten minutes or whatever it is. And I'm curious how you, as someone on a business radio station who has journalist, journalist, journalistic responsibilities, right? How do you keep that in check? How do you keep your affiliations, your bias, your emotions in check when you're, say you're interviewing someone that you know you don't quite agree with. Because that's a hard thing for me to do myself. Yeah. Um, I think that's just, that just comes with practice, right? And obviously, mm. you're, 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 what's the word? Not, you're not trained, but you are trained to be fair, right? In the sense that what, what is fair? If, it's the, if you're speaking to someone who is uh, a leader, then anything within their purview is fair, right? Their accountability. You don't take cheap shots at them. <laughs> if you're speaking to a politician, you don't necessarily go off the cuff uh, in terms of like, going after their family. You talk about the, what they're accountable to. They're accountable to their base, to their uh, their portfolio, things like that. Within that, 
that's where you push back, right? Okay. And I think even with people you like, it's important to catch them on their BS <laughs> and and to push and True. to push them on those points, right? That's really important. Um, but you're right; it can be very agitating. But it's always, I think, important for us to take a step back and just breathe. And um, um, fortunately for me, I guess, is the fact that I haven't been, I have never had to interview someone that I. Uh, dislike, but even if I did, it's just you just got to separate that and push on the merits, right? There are going to be merits to the conversation, so push on those points. Um, what are they accountable to? What are their failures? What are their wins, right? That that they will bring up themselves. So mm. more more likely, you just to prepare yourself to have a balanced conversation. And balance basically means covering both sides of the conversation to a fair degree, right? I do believe that there's also a uh, a false equivalence, right? That everyone who's doing good is also doing bad. That sort of thing. And I don't think that's the right way to look at it. Um, but also it's watching other people I respect do their work. Mm. And I had a lot of mentors in this space. Um, and watching them and listening to them and looking at how they did it um, gave me like a, like, okay. Oh, that's interesting. That's how they did it. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, I saw what, I saw what she did there. I saw what, I saw what he did there. Um, so looking to others, I guess, for guidance on that was really, really helpful, really important. But when we're on the air, if it's fair criticism, it's fair criticism, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think lately I understand. I, I see I see the numbers. I see the first, I'm very frustrated on air a lot of the time. And I just express it in a fair manner, asking questions over the accountability of the government, over the accountability of policymakers. What what's the plan here is I think usually what I'm saying on air because that's honestly my my question. <laughs> um, things like barometers towards how we calculate how do we measure COVID nineteen cases. Case numbers aren't enough. We know this already. We've had plenty of experts who talk about this. You also know these experts. You've talked to them. We need other barometers. Why aren't we doing a more active role in this? So those are some of the things, right? And I think one thing that I'm particularly irritated by is the lack of future policymaking in in the terms of economic growth, empowerment, and where we're going to go. Where is Malaysia going next, right? Politics aside, mm. where are the growth industries going to be? What are we growing here? A lot of our biggest businesses, think of the KLCI 30, most of the big businesses are in oil and gas, uh, well, petrol, gloves. oil and gas, gloves, uh, plantations, banks. and banks, right? Mm. All, these are all old school businesses. Um, the plantations, rubber gloves, and uh, not so much the oil, but the plantation rubber gloves for sure, well, some things that we had from the colonial era, where are the new industries going to be? Grab is not going to list here. They'll operate here, but they're not mm. going to list here. Kasim is probably not, not going to list here. Um, these are the things that need to be asked, right? And I think that's a particular passion point of mine because um, I look at it from a young person in this country and looking to other young people in this country, we need more young representation because we're not being taken seriously. And it's our futures on the line. Yeah, exactly. Where are the future jobs going to come from? Are we guiding enough people in the right way? Are the universities tackling it the right way? Is there enough guidance there? Um, because that's my real concern. Because youth mm -hmm. unemployment, uh, I can't even remember the numbers now. I remember there were double digits at this point, uh, at some point. But that's a concern. Yeah. Right, underemployment is another concern. So, where are the you know the twelfth Malaysia plan supposedly going to come up in the in September, two years late or one and a half years late? Um, the, these are all things that 
with COVID-19 is, is such a fluid time, not just for Malaysia, for the world. It's the biggest disruption that the globe has faced since World War II, unless I'm mistaken there. But it, that's pretty much the biggest disruption that we've ever faced to supply chains, to livelihoods, to our ability to live on a day-to-day -day basis, yep. um, not to mention to the coffers of governments and things like that. What's the next phase? That's my concern. Mm. I want to know that. Right. I like that. I like that. I feel so fired up by your by your monologue, bro. I feel so fired <laughs> up by it. And I like how you ended it. I like how you asked what's next and what can we do because I feel like a lot of the frustration that I am getting is the fact that I feel somewhat powerless. That's why I really encourage, um, and I listened to your previous, uh, your talk with uh, the Undi 18 and Lim Yiwei, right? I think that they offer a solution-focused narrative and an approach to some of the struggles that we have. And that is still frustrating to me because I think a lot of what they mentioned and they recommended will probably fall on deaf ears, but at least it is solution focused. At least it's not just complaining for complaining's sake without trying to achieve anything. So uh, everyone should go listen to that. Go check out that, that podcast that you had with them. Yeah. That was a very hopeful conversation. Um, uh, they addressed, they're both so eloquent and so fired up and gives me hope for our generation. And this is a thing, right? When when a youth leader is considered youth at 40 years old, there is a concern there, right? Um, all, our, all our leaders today in power, positions of power started their careers in their 20, 20s. 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dr. Sri Najib Razak was an MP in his early 20s. Obviously, he had a, he has a legacy and all of that. He, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he took his father's seat. But... Again, they had their early break in their 20s and a lot of them started off young. What's the proportion of that today? Um, I would like to see that change. And mm. obviously, a lot more gender inclusion as well because representation is more than just... Representation is important because we don't fully... We will never fully understand what someone else goes through. Exactly. Right. And the closest markers of identification we have are things like gender and race. We have paid, we have paid a lot of attention to race uh, over the last... 40 to 60 years. Mm. Um, it's about time that we have a lot more women representation. So For you sure. mentioned Undi 18. So Kira Yusri uh, and the gang over there also have uh, uh, not a, an initiative called uh, Initiative 111 or 112. And that's basically just trying to the, the, the shout out the agenda of getting equal uh, gender representation in parliament itself as well. Mm. And again, um, it's people like this that give me hope for the future. <laughs> and I really hope that they continue fighting the good fight because it's not about now. It's about five years or 10 years down the line. We're not fighting for today, we're fighting for the future. Um, and that's why even things like Muda, the coming up of Muda is important for our generation. Muda may not succeed, but what, succeed, what happens after Muda is going to be important. The party after Muda, the, gen the political activation of this generation is important. Mm. And it's only going to happen if younger people step up. So that's why Muda as an example is important. And I hope to see more of that kind of activation. Yep, because yep. in the current other political parties, there's a certain structure in place already. Yes, they can rise the ranks, things like that. But sometimes it's a kind of like a legacy company and a startup. A startup is able to adapt quicker and Agile. grow faster and respond to the their demographic quicker mm. right so 
hopefully we find, hopefully we get a political startup that is as successful as Facebook in terms of a business to politics comparison at some point. Hopefully not as, uh, hopefully not as controversial, but uh, yeah, um, it'll be interesting. I like how I like your, I like how long term thinking you are, and that is going to conveniently pivot the topic <laughs> to investing because investing on Ringgit that sense, especially what you would, uh, I think majority of your guests would recommend, the long term, and I, I think you mentioned this. Um, your passion for personal finance uh, came as you were a kid. I, okay, I'm just going to ask this very, very direct, very straightforward questions, and a lot of these are sure, Instagram questions. Where do you struggle personally in terms of personal finance? Because you are like Ooh. the superhero in this. I want to know what's your kryptonite, bro. This is a pretty good question, actually. So, um, first and foremost, mm. um, the only reason I sound like I know what I'm talking about <laughs> is because I've spent so much what time on it, right? I mean, to a large extent, I do, but that's mm. also because I've learned a lot and I pay a lot of attention to it. I think. Most of the books in that like top shelf there are like money-related books. Um, I listen to podcasts from uh, a lot of the Tim Ferriss stuff. He interviewed uh, Tony Robbins and Ramit Sethi, and they all kind of set the mind space, but also a bit of Rich Dad and a lot of other kind of just uh, understanding. I, I learned, I think, uh, when, I, when I first learned about compound interest and inflation when I was, and this is before I was 12 years old, I promise you I'm not lying here. I immediately was like, what? Hold on. My money today is going to be less valuable next year. <laughs> how do I stop this? I want to, how do I stop this? And that's when compound interest came into the picture. So okay. that's how I kind of understood how that played out. Um, weaknesses, obviously, is one big one for me is insurance. And that's because of my health issues. Not the fibromyalgia, but we're talking about way back. Uh, when I was born, I was born with a hole in my heart. So that obviously, congenital heart defect kind of rules out a lot of insurance coverage or makes it very difficult to get. Um, I have some coverage, but obviously that's a big weak spot in my personal financial planning. Yep. Um, yes, I have the long-term in investing. I believe I have the long-term investing covered for the most part. But honestly, if something were to happen to me medically, it's going to it will derail everything. So I do have a separate health fund that I'm building, but it's not enough at this point. Um, I have a pacemaker also, which I uh, got when I was... 15 years old um, and that was also part of the congenital heart defect it, my heart was a lot slower and it, it was always going to be a matter of time before I, I got a pacemaker so every 10 8 to 10 years I have to replace that so that's also a big chunk of money so these are where my the, I have deviations in my typical financial planning and that's a big weak spot there because those kind of things are going to hamper my retirement planning so it's balancing between, between the two are tough and obviously, I'm trying to focus on increasing my income and things like that, but also just trying to find, believing in the long-term process and also kind of wrapping my, the head, my head around the fact that um, I'm probably not going to retire at 60, right? Um, I think I tweeted this, was it a day before, a few days ago, that my ultimate financial goal is uh, <clears throat> to hit to build a financial freedom fund so that, I'm, that at the age of 60, I can withdraw 60,000 ringgit a year in today's money which is about 140,000 ringgit in 30 years, all right? Uh, mm -hmm. For my, annually for my expenses, right? Um, that means I need to accumulate 3.7 million ringgit by the time I hit 60. So 4% would mean this, about 60K around there, right? Am I right? I'm not sure what the drawdown is. I can't remember, but it's the drawdown specifically and the calculator I did was 
sixty thousand ringgit a year in today's money. Okay. Okay. Uh, at a three percent inflation rate, is about one hundred forty thousand ringgit. Yeah, it's a lot of money, man. Shit. Um, and that's just for me. So if it's me and my partner, I'm benchmarking like a hundred thousand ringgit a year in today's money. Um, and that is so that we can or I can uh, work if I want to, not because I have to. So okay. then that leads me to a lot of different work that I can do. Right? I can do work that I don't necessarily need to cover all the bills, but I really like, I really enjoy. So maybe back into media content creation, uh, doing all sorts of other different things, doing projects. So that's my ultimate goal. Because I think the realistic, the, I think for most of us, working past 60 is going to be, uh, it's going to be a reality. Uh, and uh, part of it is going to be because of our longevity risk. A lot of us are, a lot of us are living a lot longer than uh, <laughs> we thought possible. Um, fun fact: uh, When the first the first real concept of retirement was in 1889, if I'm not mistaken, and that was by German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck, and it was during a time when there was massive youth unemployment, so he needed to get the older people out of the workforce. So oh. that's when he guaranteed, guaranteed them pensions and stuff like that. But people lived till like they were 48 or 50 back then. Oh. So there's a whole different dynamic at play. Um, so yes, with the benefits of better health and all of that. Um, we're facing other issues here. And that's commonly known as longevity risk in financial planning. Okay. All right, back to the, the weaknesses. That is one. Um, a big, big, massive gap in my financial planning today is estate planning. I keep saying I'm going to do it. I haven't done it yet. And that I means do will have writing, right? Sorry. Will writing, where the money goes. And thing is, I do have a substantial amount of assets already in, uh, invested, whether it's stocks or my robo-advisor. So... If anything happens to me, that could end up in limbo for a little while because it ends up in uh, there's a certain yeah. court system or probate system or something like that. So, Roshan, if you're watching this, it's a reminder <laughs> to yourself to go and sort this out like ASAP. And whoever else hasn't sorted it out, sort it out, right? Um, a note of a note to keep an eye on here is that your will, and someone correct me if I'm wrong here, but your will needs to be updated after you get married because it's no longer valid because obviously there's been a significant change in your life. Uh, and that needs to be addressed. So that's something Ooh. for all of you to keep an eye on. Uh, but also, I think all the financial planners I've spoken to always recommend when a major milestone happens in your life, or it's about to, like marriage or kids or stuff like that, uh, update your will. Like, take, take all these things sorry, into sorry. account. And yeah, so that is a big part, a big gap of mine. Taxes are okay, lah, you know. I'm not the most efficient in terms of getting all the, the tax reliefs, but... Mm. Pay my taxes on time and I declare all my income, which is great. So, yeah. Uh, but also, I know a lot of people think I have my investments all sorted out. But I have to say, I always keep learning, you know. There are some things where I learn later on, like, that I didn't know. And I have to update. I have to change. I have to learn. So, it's not always a con. I have the baseline, right? Mm. But I have learned a lot over the last three to five years yep. uh, amongst all of this. Um, yeah. Yeah, man, Ringis and Sons is probably financial a financial degree or financial masters on steroids, lah. I gotta say. <laughs> okay, it's a it's a it's a short course, lah. Okay, <laughs> short courses are effective, you know. Yes, they um, are. How would you if this if it's something you don't have to disclose the amount, but how is your uh, asset allocation like? Because I know you're a big fan of robo advisors. I know you're a big fan of um, big uh, fan. passive index funds, ETFs. Uh, if you can break it down to listeners, how does it how does it look like? All right, I'm looking at my phone now. I will share mm. some of it. Uh, I'm not going to say exactly what is what because again, there's a certain level of, again, influence and that comes from saying I your investments sure. out loud and I don't 
I don't feel comfortable with that kind of influence. Um, no matter what people say. And again, I think we've already uh, make this, we're going to make this quite clear. Yeah. This is not financial advice, right? Disclaimer. I'm not asking you to buy, <laughs> sell or hold. This is purely for educational purposes. Mm. And um, so, okay. So you've asked me for my asset allocation. Um, okay. I have to say that I have, uh, my asset allocation is probably a lot more stock heavy now. And that's because last year when when the pandemic first broke out, massive stocks went on sale, like massive stocks. Um, and I bought quite a quite, I bought quite a few of them. Is this locally um, or is this international? All over? Internationally. Um, I am not a fan of the local stock market for the okay. most part. I think there's very few opportunities for growth, but I have found some pockets like, again, anyone who invested in semicons over the last year is Ooh. very happy right now. All right. Because we, we play a big role in that ecosystem. Anyone who bought rubber gloves initially very happy maybe now not so depending on when you bought as well right if you were long term right now you're still massively in the green so my asset allocation i can break it down for you in terms of geographies as well actually um i've got all the like i said i'm a nerd so i like breaking it down in these different ways so let's see a big part of my portfolio right now is u.s stocks okay the two biggest part of my portfolio are u.s stocks uh my robo advisor which are both about the same. And then I've got EPF and Malaysian stocks that are around the same uh, prop proportion. I've still got a significant amount of cash as well. And then I've got a my emergency buffer fund, which is a money market fund for the most part. Um, I don't have the proportions for you here, unfortunately. I'm really sorry about that. I saw I did, but, oh no, I, I do, I do. Okay, so currently uh, of my total net worth based on these numbers here 11 percent is in malaysian stocks 24 in us 22 percent in the robo advisor uh 12 percent in epf five and a half percent is uh cash and trust in my brokerage uh another 16 to 17 percent is in my money market fund and then i've got another nine percent in cash reserves so the money market fund plus the cash reserves i money market and fd a bit of a mix this is updated as of end of July. So I haven't really updated okay. it recently. So that's kind of the, the mix I have going on right now. And a lot of it, the US stocks and the Malaysian stocks actually started with pretty much the same asset allocation percentage, um, but the US stocks just did way better. <laughs> um, and that's because um, I have to say, first and foremost, stock picking is not for everyone. It's actually really, really, really hard. Yep. Um, and the only reason I bought last year was because Warren Buffett's, uh, what's the word, uh, margin of safety kept, kept, came into play because stocks were massively oversold at that point. Um, especially some of the really big tech names that again, I'm not going to name, but I, and I bought into them. And the thing is with these companies, because the brokerage fee is so high, um, to buy into them, it's easily, I easily have to invest either five or 10,000 ringgit, because if I invest less than that, I'm paying more than 2% of the total so it's yep. quite an expensive fee so it was a big commitment for those so and those have done very well so obviously that's where it's played out a lot of my malaysian plays haven't done really well so again goes to show you the the kind of uh, back and forth right actually let me i've got the performance numbers here so since early last year this is more than one year malaysian stocks in my portfolio have done 20 percent U.S. stocks have done 75 percent wow my robot my robot advisor has done about 21 percent return 
um, and EPF, EPF obviously the dividend rate, lah, right? Five percent. But, but in my Malaysian, uh, my Malaysian stocks, one stock which was uh, I, I bought it a bit less has is up like two hundred percent. Holy shit! What industry I is that? Lost in? Don't money. Share the names though. What industry? Semicon. Nice. Semicon. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the others are all in the red. I have one here <laughs> that's in oil and gas that is down fifty seven percent. Okay. Um, I have a rubber glove player that's down thirty seven percent. I have a hospitality player that's up ten percent, and I have uh, an auto player that's down thirteen percent. And this some of them I minus dividends. So again, goes to show you that you can hide wins in the aggregate. But again, yep. stock picking is hard, guys. Um, I'm going to forward, I'm going to shout out an old episode of Ring and Sense I did with Danny Wong of Erica Capital, and we talked about stock picking there. Go and check it out. That's really really good. In fact. Um, uh, I'm ready. What I'll do is I'll send you a link to. Uh, actually, I created an RNS Spotify playlist mm, yeah, with some of my favorite in, uh, investing stuff. So maybe you can link that as All well. Right. A lot of a lot of good like perspective there. So yeah, so that's the asset allocation I have. I'm obviously a bit more on the aggressive side, but that's also because like, I understand what I'm doing and I have very specific goals. Um, so <laughs> things like the retirement fund are high risk, but that's only be- that's because these are meant for when I'm 60, 55 or 60 mm-hmm. at the very earliest. But that's why it's so important. And this is my most important thing, that emergency buffer fund for six, 12 months of your expenses, you need to have that to provide some kind of security. Um, because otherwise it can be nerve wracking if you don't have it. And yeah. then, because the fear is always going to be, what if I have to sell my stocks? Oh my God, they're doing so well now. No, no. I'm playing the long game here. Um, also, the amount of money, amount of capital, sorry, I've allocated towards stock picking, I'm not increasing that. That money is never going to change. Okay. Um, if I do better with that, I do better with that. If I don't, I don't. But the rest of it is dollar cost averaging through EPF and the robo advisor okay. I use for right now. Whether I include unit trust or whatever, that, that's, that's a question for later on. But right now, uh, less is more in my view, in my personal uh, financial planning. Okay. Very, very interesting and intricate uh, breakdown of how you how you allocate your assets. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing. Have you ever shared this on, on air though? Is this something you have shared before? No, not no? on the radio. Okay. For sure All not right. on the radio. Exclusive um, guys. I have, uh, I have done this on Instagram though. I'm pretty sure I've shared these charts before. Okay. So yeah, and I've actually shared stories on Twitter as well. Um, I, I have no idea whether you're going to be interested in this, but some of my biggest wins and my biggest losses in the US arena, um, I owned Apple stock when it was what is today like Seventeen dollars, and I sold it. Wait, what um, is it today? Is it seventeen? Thought it's few hundred. Uh, today it's like uh, today it's like a hundred yeah. something. Um, I had it because there have been multiple stock splits, right? I had my initial purchase price is now equivalent to like seventeen dollars today. Oh and shit! I, sold it I mean, I, I made I made quite a bit of money. Okay, okay. But I sold it when I got to when I started my internship at BFM because the trade war had started and I couldn't handle the uncertainty. And I couldn't sleep at night and I was getting very nervous because a large proportion or in fact my entire almost my entire net worth was in Apple stock at that point and that was a big problem and this is a perfect example of concentration risk yes I did well I made a lot of money from that but it could have gone so 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 wrong um, and that's very very important to recognize um, just because you made a dumb move once and it got right doesn't mean that it's a smart move. Okay? 
I need to emphasize this. Thanks, thanks, thanks for sharing. Because I did responsible, man. Thanks. I mean, I think it's important because you can get your hands burnt uh, with the the kinds things like this. And I think we've had too many horror stories that have that have chased away people from the biggest growth opportunity, which is investing in the long term in the stock market. Yep. Um, doing it responsibly and to your risk tolerances. And that's really sad. And we've got so many tools today, ETFs and index funds, you know, um, and the access that gives us to automatic diversification. Yes, you could do better if you individually pick stocks. Yes, we all know that. But not all of us are stock pickers and not all of us, are, not all of us have the temperament. So automatic diversification into the biggest or the most successful stock market in the world, probably not a bad way to go about uh, your long-term planning. And you've got lots of data there and lots of liquidity and all the big companies still want to go and list there. So mm. the name of the game is US and China still at this point, you know, for the most part, like, anyway. Yep, yep, yep. Stock picking is not everyone's game. Uh, unless you have time and you have knowledge, you really study into it, you're confident. And even if you are, I suppose you don't put your whole basket in it. Uh, oh yeah, what I did was really dumb. But um, I, I was, the word is conviction. I had a strong conviction in my uh, play at that point. Um, and also, I guess there was also a belief that, yes, that money was a lot for me at that point, but I knew I would be able to recover it over the long term, right? If anything mm. happened. So mentally, I was kind of prepared. What I wasn't prepared for is I had made a lot of gains and I was like, oh, I don't want to lose these gains. Oh, the US-China war is happening. Oh, what's going to happen? Like so much potential Apple's going to lose. So that's what got in my head. Um, yeah. On the flip side, I've okay. lost like 60% on, a, on GoPro in my life as well. So again, win and lose, like it happens. So you got to have the temperament, temperament, you got to have the why you're doing it. Why are you buying the stock? What are your benchmarks in terms of when you're going to sell, why you're holding it, that sort of thing. That's really important. If you're buying for the sake of buying, then you're going to sell for the sake of selling because you have no real plan there. And that's just my personal view of this. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks for sharing, man. I am curious on your thoughts on property as an investment, or is is it something in your <laughs> own? Um, is it something? Is it something in line up or queued up in your own spending in the future, the short term future, or, or has it already been? Um, you know how we just talked about concentration risk. Um, this is why I personally don't mm. like properties. Um, I think it's too much concentration risk. It's too illiquid, and uh, you tie up a lot of debt into it. It's a leveraged. Uh, it's a leveraged buy right mm. it's a leveraged asset um i personally don't like it um if i wanted to buy a home maybe i would one day but at the same time i'm not opposed to in fact i kind of like the idea of renting because in this very fluid very mobile very remote world who's to say you're going to live in a house for 30 years mm-hmm. yep uh, maintaining a house is also expensive and it's painful um for the most part and <clears throat> And while I understand why someone would want to buy a house for that security, I personally believe that I would rather put my money in the capital markets. Um, because again, liquidity. more liquid. I like income generating assets, cash flow generating assets, which are companies. Um, that said, property can be a cash flow generating asset through rental and all of that, of course. But rental yields right now are really low. So um, when I take a look at the rental yield and I look at the property prices, Really depends. Now, mm. the math change a little. Sorry, I missed the coffee. Um, <laughs> the math changes a little bit. If let's say me and my partner want to buy a property, want to buy a home together, then the math changes because 
it's no longer the concentration risk is no longer 100 me mm. it's the two of us are splitting the value of the of a property and let's say it's a 600,000 ringgit apartment that's 300,000 each on our books i mean obviously with the loan and all it could be higher but uh, over the long term but again a much more reasonable amount to take up on your yep. on my own portfolio right um but that's it i'm also not someone who believes that the home you live in should be considered an investment asset um, and counting it as your net worth can be detrimental to you. It makes you think you're richer than you are. Okay. Because selling a house is not easy. You're not going to be able to use the house to pay off something if you need to tomorrow, right? You, could, you can take on more debt against it, sure. But just something to keep in mind. Um, I'm not opposed to property entirely. It's not my favorite asset class. If I wanted to buy property, I'd buy REITs. Um, ah, okay. that, that might be something interesting. Um, that's something... I personally have been watching uh, and actually I did a really good episode of Reads a few weeks ago with an analyst from DBS Bank on Bring In Sense. Uh, might be worth uh, checking out. But right now, I like the growth sector for the long term, that sort of thing. And it's really important what you tie those investments to what goals, right? So the retirement goals, obviously, I can be a bit more assertive, aggressive and uh, risk on. But I also have the health fund and the health fund can't be like that. The health fund has to be a moderate portfolio that has some income and some stability because I could need it next month. I could need it next year. Mm. So yes, you want growth in there, but you also have to be responsible. I have to be responsible there and make sure that it's not um, too aggressive. So there's too much volatility. Okay. Okay. Got it. So again, the, the goals and your risk tolerance really, really matter. I have to, I really want to emphasize that point. I think what you mentioned and what I hear you said is you were also very specific to tie what investment vehicle that you have to what goal that you want to achieve as well. Mm-hmm. I think I think being wanting to be rich is not wrong, but it's a very weak goal that most people have. I think breaking it down into, okay, I'm going to have this investment vehicle to achieve this goal. This is the purpose for this. I think that makes more sense. And I, I feel like that's mm-hmm. a team that you've been sharing to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like, I've also realized I've not mentioned EPF at all. Um, EPF is also really important, I, I feel, because it's, it, yes, it doesn't generate the best returns. It's like 45 to 5% per annum on an average basis. But uh, for most Malaysians, it's, the, I guess, a free asset manager. Mm-hmm. And in the long term, it keeps your money, especially if you are maybe the not, not, not the most disciplined, keeps your money away from you. It's automatic. It's dollar cost averaging in a way. Not really, but in a way. And, you know, after you get to like pass a million ringgit, which you realistically could get, too, if you earned even 4,000 ringgit a month uh, over 30 years uh, at the minimum, um, after a million ringgit, you know, you can withdraw anything mm-hmm. above that. So it becomes like an FD. So uh, EPF, after your retirement as a reserve fund, earning 45 to 5% above a million ringgit is really, really good, all said and done. Uh, but obviously, you have to remember that in 30 years' time, Money's- a million ringgit today and a million ringgit in 30 years' time don't have the same value. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. So I suppose a lot of these are, again, social media questions. Yeah? And we're very interested to take your take on crypto. What's your thought on crypto? Crypto. Yep. Okay. I honestly, okay. <clears throat> I'm learning about it, right? Mm. I have, I'm not going to lie and say that I don't, I haven't bought. I have. And I bought and then I regretted it because I fell. <laughs> but I also understand why I'm buying, right? It's a very, very small part of my portfolio. So sorry, I haven't put it in the math in that asset allocation earlier. 
But that's because I've put a certain amount of money that I, in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm probably going to lose this, right? And that's, it's kind of like a hedge. So I don't thoroughly understand it. I understand Bitcoin to, for a lot, to a large extent, right? Um, I understand the technology, but things like Ethereum, all, oh man, like I, I, my head starts spinning a bit because I haven't spent the time to learn about it. So where they could go, like, honestly, when it comes to crypto, it, to me, still feels like a gamble because a lot of it is demand and supply, um, and which is very similar to, com uh, not to commodities, which is very similar to, yes, to other things, but you know, like, like, a, like commodities prices, end of the day, you can use a commodity. Stocks, yes, can go up and down, but end of the day, the stock still generates, generates cash, right? The, the company still generates cash. It's income producing. Yes, it can go bankrupt, but the thing is with Bitcoin, ultimately, what can I use it for? Could it, is it going to be a currency? I don't know. I don't think so because if there's a limited supply, means that it's it can fluctuate drastically based on demand and supply. So if Bitcoin today is going to be forty thousand and tomorrow is going to be forty five, that's a big difference in between the two. So how can we set prices to a certain level? Again, I may sound really stupid and really naive here. I'm still learning these things, uh, particularly when it comes to crypto, but I have no strong convictions about it. I'm not opposed to it. I think it's interesting. I think Bitcoin, could it be new digital gold? Hey, maybe, right? Because gold, it, it, Bitcoin kind of feels like gold in the sense that it's a hedge against inflation. Maybe you could hedge it against currencies. Um, and maybe as it becomes more mature, the prices will become sta more stable like gold is. I see it more as a gold as opposed to a currency. Yep, yep. And I don't understand Ethereum that much. So I really, really cannot say anything about that. Um, but yes, I'm not going to lie and say that I haven't uh, put a little bit of money to work there. And for a long time, they were red. Uh, they've recently recovered. So that shows you that I bought, that I fell into the trap. I bought at the highs and then kind of okay, wiped out okay. a little bit. But again, what is important here is I ring fenced a certain amount of money, knew the intention. I was like, okay, I understand that I may lose all of you. Uh, I hope you do your, the best job that you can with the information I have. Go off into this asset. It's very, very important and very important to understand your asset, uh, your risk tolerance. Yep, yep, yep. That's a very responsible answer. I I'm going to share with you uh, this um, illustration on Bitcoin and Ethereum that I found really helpful to help me understand the whole ecosystem, the whole function, the whole usage of it. Uh, I'll forward it to you later. And maybe I'll put it in the description and comments as well. Okay. Thanks, man. Some more listener, listener, follower questions, uh, social media questions. Tell me, tell, us your, tell us your, tell us your, that was the best and the worst memory you've had in BFM this past three years. Oh, you know what? Yeah, just tell us, what do you think? What comes to mind when that question is asked? Best and worst memory. Oh, oh shit. Uh, you really caught me off guard here. Take your time. Um, some, some of the best memories. Um, I met Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, in 2018. So that was pretty dope. Um, so the last year has been pretty much of a cloud, lah, right? And I think mm. one of the one of the worst memories is probably um, I think when the, when Garmin fell, uh, Lanka Sheraton, honestly. Um, and, and yeah, this is despite political affiliation and all of that. Like, you know, it's just that moment when your heart just sinks mm. and, and you're like, what is going on here? The best memory is I was at uh, Sheraton. Sheraton Hotel <laughs> um, when Tun Mate and Ko and were on that stage and said we have won. Yeah, 
I felt like I was part of something so much bigger and I was there with my colleague uh, uh, Priyanka at that time and you know to be able to witness that was amazing that, and that entire day of just the coverage that we were doing and all of that was really just it was it was so thrilling um, and we were there so late uh, worst memory would would be that lot you know and it kind of just like the fallout from there um, another I think another one would be when we moved for, when we BFM celebrated uh, the 10th anniversary and when we first in our new office um, <clears throat> and we had like uh, YB Gobind Singh in and then it was a lot of uh, it was fun like, it was fun to be part of that mm. camaraderie and like that atmosphere and celebrating 10 years and all of that so that was pretty cool um, oh yeah probably one of the other worst memories is when uh, the person who hired me Melissa had just left the company oh, okay. so that was pretty that was pretty sucky as well um, she is the one who hired me and she was my mentor at, at, that, uh, at that point so that was really tough because after that it was yeah, like, it was weird, like, you know, after that. And uh, we still keep in touch. She's still my friend. And uh, she, Awani, she was one of the first few people. Awani now, she mm. she's kicking ass over there. Um, but also, uh, she was also one of the first people who knew that I was going to leave uh, BFM, uh, ask for advice and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, I think through the, the hardship and all comes growth. Uh, because 2019 was easily uh, the most... Most growth I had as okay. a producer. Tell me about that. Like, what kind of growth have you seen since beginning? Is Roshan today compared so, to Roshan 2018? <laughs> 2018, I was still uncertain, right? I had become, for, I, from intern, I had become a producer. I was still uncertain. I was still looking to my <clears throat> more experienced colleagues for them to like, okay, Roshan, yes, Roshan, do this. Yes, you can do this. Like, I was still looking for their approval. Mm. I wasn't sure what I was doing. I was still learning the ropes. Um, then Melissa left. And I was kind of like in no man's land at that point, right? I was like, oh, and I just took on ringing it sense at that point. So I was like, okay, sink or swim, bro. It's like, it's, it's just that it's sink or swim. You got to keep moving forward. Like you can feel sad and all of that. Don't, don't, um, don't deny what you're feeling, but put in the work and take this because in that fluidity came my chance to grow. And I was able to express a lot more independence and a lot, I had to step up essentially, uh, step up the content, step up in the production really there was no time to carry someone along it was like like we need you to stand on your two feet because we're trying to keep everything going um so yeah so 2019 was that it was the year that i really stepped out of my shell um ring and sense was when i that was when i first started ring and sense mm. uh i was under the view of uh Noelle Lim became my team leader after that and she was very um very thorough with the feedback but always very encouraging of growing and very hands-off in the sense that like there are certain lines and you go and you go and do the work. Like I want you to express yourself. And then after that, the feedback will come like, all right, this is why I don't think this was right or this and that sort of thing. So that's where a lot wow. of growth happened in, 20, in 2019. And it was really because it was just like a single swim kind of have to just push, uh, push through it. Okay. And then 2020 was a whole different set of uh, <laughs> situations. Huh? Um, what what feedback yeah. do you remember the most that no, I'll share with you? I, I, I know feedback, oh feedbacks God. can, can, oh, Dude, they can shoot you straight in the heart. But they are so important. I mean, all the feedbacks that I've gotten <laughs> and I've taken to heart have changed me as a person. What, what was hers? Yeah. I honestly cannot remember because the emails were so long. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like, um, yeah, she used to listen to my interviews and then just write down like, okay, da-da-da-da-da. Oh, wow. things, like, things like, 
I rely on a lot of uh, crutch words like uh, like this or you know um, and all these little things that I used to buy time and uh, I guess in terms of confidence and stuff like that I think was just like some of the things like believe in your conviction like understand where you're going with the interview is important so I think one of my biggest uh, uh, weaknesses is that I try to cram too much in an interview um, as opposed to picking like three or four themes and sticking with that right mm -hmm. I try to go as much as I can, but really when I should be going, I try to go as wide when I should be going, like uh, narrow but deep into certain points. See. Um, and that's always something I, I, I guess I struggled with until today. You should start a little I podcast. Think a of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, who knows, who knows, we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's also just four more. But yeah, you know what? With a podcast, I can do 40 minutes or an hour and not have to worry <laughs> about it. Exactly, um, dude. How much stress, man, when you have the time ticking down on you, I feel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But it also is exhilarating, lah. But um, exhilarating is the right word. I think that would be it, lah. You know. Okay. Um, honestly, it's the problem is that all the memories are kind of mushed together right now, so I can't really give you a better answer than that. That's a great um, answer. But there have been a lot, lots of ups and downs. You know, there are days where, um, oh yeah, actually, last year, in amongst all the chaos and all, you know, there's just like <laughs> misunderstandings can lead to like I had like a many emotional breakdown essentially uh, because I think the pressure just got to me at some point um, and I had made a mistake of course but I guess the reception to that mistake was maybe I felt could have been communicated better and stuff like that I'm not going to mention too much from that that point but my reaction to it was like I just I couldn't handle it but I had colleagues who like kept me sane essentially so that was yeah. actually a pretty bad day for me yeah that was uh, that was last that was mid last year Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. A lot of things. Sorry. Another great, another good memory was when I did BFM's, technically BFM's first ever webinar, actually. <clears throat> and it was, hey, Roshan, do you want to do a webinar tomorrow? That, that's how it happened. And it was really, really like, we just did it on Zoom alone. We didn't broadcast it live. And then I did it on IG Live after that. So it was a closed session and we promoted it over the evening. Um, that was really interesting. That was a lot of fun. Um, and that was the kind of madness that happened, like, especially when the MCO happened, right? Like, like how do we adapt? Like, okay, we do this. So, well, technically speaking, that was the first webinar we did, but it was not the first public one. There was, it was not on, we didn't use Zoom to, <clears throat> to broadcasting on Facebook and stuff like that. It was a closed Zoom session. I think we had like 100, 200 people there. It was, uh, again, exhilarating. So that was a pretty good memory. Are you going to get this kind of exhilaration in what's going to happen next? Which is something that I'm going to ask. What's next? Because I feel like... <laughs> and, and one theme that... I'm sorry to disturb you here. One theme that you mentioned is that I feel like when you're put on the spot uh, in a way where kind of like how the bridges are burned or whatnot. Is that the right phrase? You kind of get, you kind of get turned on. Your, your head kind of gets turned on. Your mind gets turned on and you kind of just perform. It's like a sink or swim kind of sensation. I feel like... That has been the feeling I'm getting from the stories that you've been sharing from uh, your time at BFM. And yeah, acceleration is perhaps a good word to kind of sum it up, right? How is, uh, where are you going to get that adrenaline rush in your next job? And what is it? What's going to be? All right. So <clears throat> up next, I am joining the financial planning industry. I will be joining... Uh, I haven't posted it on social media yet. Uh, when are you going to add this video? Thursday. Thursday, cool. Mm. So you know what I'll do? Um, <laughs> I will wait till Thursday before I tell my own social media. So okay. this is an exclusive for you for right. in terms of publicity. I'm not sure how much of a big deal this is, but 
I will be joining uh, Ringgit Plus. They've got a license. They've they've got a financial planning unit. They started last year. Uh, I will be a financial planner with them, and uh, that's pretty much what I'm going to do. We're going to be doing one-on-one uh, -on -one consult. I'll be doing once I'm brought up to speed and I've got all the necessary training. I've got my CFP already, but I think I need to do a training course as well because there's a lot of. Uh, I will be helping out with their. They have they have a few products. Um, one of course is the one-on-one -on -one consultation, but also the other one is. Uh, where they speak to employees like in a seminar kind of situation, all online. Um, so I'll be part of that. Uh, I will be a financial planner after this. Right. And who knows where the exhilaration is going to come from, but I just like the... I still have that, that avenue of expression and communication. Mm. Um, and honestly, I'm looking forward to moving away from simply talking about... And I understand uh, there's a lot of value in interviewing people and all of that. But I think in order for me to really kind of help people, I have to become a practitioner as well. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to really here is really understanding people's problems on the ground, getting to know different kinds of situations and helping people get out of that. Um, and also and also learning how to teach, right? I think that's really important because I do believe that um, one of the possible futures of mine, you know, one of the parallel kind of things could be doing more education work. I really do believe that. And it would be, it would be financial literacy and maybe even economic uh, and business education because I don't think there's enough of that. I don't think kids uh, are uh, thought to understand these things that are so important that matter to us on a policy level. That's why most people don't understand what GDP means and things like that. And it's because we've failed kids in, in, their, in, in, our, in, in helping them keep up with the times. So I do hope that education in the longer term does play a role in my future, um, whether that is online or doing YouTube or whatever. Interesting. Or actual Lecturer. classes. Maybe. I don't know. I honestly don't know, right? Um, these are all things. I'm not, I'm not closing my, myself off, um, but I'm really excited to this next chapter because I'm really scared and really nervous <laughs> as well. Let me just be upfront with all of you now. But I think it's going to be an exciting point of we're going to go through another exponential growth phase here i believe if i can keep up with the pace um and it will, like it will better round off who i i gotta be optimistic i gotta be optimistic here i mean here's the thing i'm hopeful but i'm also prepared for the worst right um that's where things like the emergency buffer fund come into play right i'm prepared for the worst should anything happen should i lose my job or something like that i'm prepared for that mm. for at least for for at least six months or so but I'm also hopeful of potential, right? I, I, I want to excel. I want to do great things. I want to perform. And that's always been. And I think the minute I stop believing that I can perform somewhere or that I can excel, um, I need to do something else. That's part of the overall equation. But keep moving forward. I want to, yeah, keep moving forward. And I like, this is going to sound really like <laughs> conceited, but I really like being a high performer, if you know what I mean. I like doing things well. Um, if I'm going to do an interview, I like doing it well. If I'm going to run a show, I would like to run it well. I want to, uh, you know, it's kind of like how we nerd out about self-development and all the things we do to make ourselves perform at our peak. I, I want to be in a prime state and perform at my prime. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm perpetually going to be there, right? Like at every point, am I doing the best that I can? And then over the long term, am I trying to improve myself? So you can't be unrealistic with yourself, right? 
If you can do 100, telling yourself I'm going to do 150 is asking for trouble. You're going to burn yourself out or worse, right? Cause yourself mental anguish. But if you can do 100 and you're like, you know what, I'm happy with 60 or 50, it, there's a lack of like, yep, yep. I don't know. It just, it, you're not in the game. And that's, for me, um, I find like, there's no engagement with the work. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to finding that zone again. And I really, th- I really do think the next phase is going to be interesting because I've spoken to the, the people there, I've had multiple conversations with them and I'm excited with their ambition. I'm excited about their, uh, what they want to do. And let's see, man. I'm uh, actually thank you for asking this question, and I'm I'm getting all excited and hyped <laughs> up again um, because I've been really sad the last few days leaving BFM. Um, it was really hard. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, I've made a lot of good friends, and I thoroughly enjoy the work. Being on air and being on air and keeping everyone company has been fantastic. But <clears throat> what I realized is when I say goodbye to everybody, and suddenly all these messages are coming in. Makes it much like, harder. Why are you going? Yeah, why are you going? Oh, I've always I've always enjoyed listening to you. And like it that validation, I I never thought I was that good. Right. And that's um I always I knew I was kind of good with ringing and sense, but on the daily show, I never thought I mattered to people. I really, really didn't think I did. I thought I was there was that imposter syndrome. I always thought my colleagues were better than me, and I'm just here to help support them. Uh, I'll just do the best I can. But to hear people actually say, I'm going to miss your voice. Um, thank you for your work. Or, you feel the void left by other people. I, it was so like, it rejuvenated my soul. Um, I, that's super corny and super cliche, but it really did. And it was really nice to hear. And then, and then I started getting really, really sad about like leaving the job because I, I realized that I was connecting with people. And once you fit that in, I always really enjoyed the job. So, but... That all said, I do think it's necessary for me to take this next step and this next yeah, chapter. Yeah. Hey, I might end up in BFM again in like five or 10 years. Who knows, right? Who knows? That's another parallel offshoot there. Um, but right now, I need to go and grow in other ways. And then maybe I, I will end up back there in a more wholesome, mature uh, Russian kind of yeah, yeah. Who knows uh, what that means? But uh, yeah. Uh, hope that wasn't too rambly, but that's... That's a great that's answer. Good. I'm sure your fans, <laughs> your listeners, and everyone who appreciates your work, they would understand where you're coming from. They would understand that this is a path that Roshan needs to take, where he needs to go. Ultimately, it's going to be good for him. And it's going to be great for us because you're upgrading yourself to be a stronger force in the world. And I suppose I speak for a lot of people who listen to you. Uh, thank you for bringing us into the world of personal finance and... Yeah, making us, bringing us down this rabbit hole of building financial <laughs> freedom. Thanks for sharing that, man. I, I well, really appreciate that. Yeah, welcome, welcome to the world of uh, of being a personal finance nerd, man, and also all <laughs> everyone. And I think for me that is the highest compliment because I saw a few, a little bit of, I uh, saw a few of these comments of like, "Thank you for doing this because you got me interested in personal finance." And I think that's the end goal when it comes to ringing and sense. Through the show, I'm not going to be able to address all your questions and all your answers and guide you through every aspect. But if it gets you interested, if it sparks that that interest, then you go down the rabbit hole yourself yep. and you start learning and you start getting interested. And that's important because I think not many people realize how interesting it can be or realize don't realize how important it is to your lives. We just we think it will solve itself, but it's not going to. So thank you for 
telling me that. Thank you for expressing that. Um, it really is the highest compliment I feel for me. And uh, uh, it's actually for everyone who did say that to me. Again, really heartfelt thank you to all of you. Yeah, man. So it's a sad happiness mixed with sadness like, that you're leaving. But yeah, don't, we're not going to make it hard on you. Go do what you need to do. <laughs> I'm going to go through a few rapid fire questions, short ones before we end. And sure. knowing that you're a fan of Tim Ferriss, this is what I stole from him. What 100 ringgit or less uh, purchase gives you the most joy? Give me something that's ah, high in value, low in price. Uh, 100 ringgit. Uh. How would you spend? How would you spend 100 ringgit? Let's say if you have 100 ringgit to spare, how would you spend it to give you the maximum amount of quote unquote return? on investment? See, see, this is a trick question because if I had a hundred ringgit extra, I'd probably invest it. <laughs> you cannot invest. Not, yeah, so that's the thing, right? So, um, oh, um, books. Okay. Yeah, below a hundred ringgit books. Um, I mean, I've enjoyed, I don't read a lot, but when I do, I, I really enjoy it. So, Atomic Habits, I, if I'm not mistaken, <clears throat> you can get it for like, 60 to 80 ringgit for sure. Probably one of my favorite purchases the last two or three years. Um, in terms of other books, uh, I recently, earlier this year, I read uh, Ride of a Lifetime, Bob Iger, uh, also was on the Tim Ferriss show. Um, great book, especially if you're in the media and or you're interested in Disney, that sort of thing. Um, so <clears throat> for below 100 ringgit, I would say good books have been some of my favorite ways to spend money. So if specific books, um, Atomic Habits immediately comes to mind. Just let me turn around one second. Uh, I see Tools of Titans. Uh, yeah. Is that Tribal Mentors or Tools of Titans? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The all those books, they're all Ferris They're all Ferris oh, books. Oh, man. Ferris uh, lover. For, for Our Body, Before Our Chef. Oh, there's a Gary Vaynerchuk book there as well. Tools of Titans, Tribes of Mentors. Before Our Work Week is there as well. Oh, actually... Uh, Tony Robbins' Unshakable, I think, is one of the most important okay. books I've read in the last five years. Um, that really, after I listened to his interview and talk, with, uh, uh, with Tim Ferriss, I bought the book and it really kind of just poofed my mind in terms of personal finance and investing. That has probably been the most important investing book in my life so far. Well, what's the biggest lesson you learned just, from that? I'm curious. Oh, long-term investing. Uh, in terms of like, he he talked to me about the power of, uh, the negative power of fees. For the first uh, time, someone was talking to me about that. And we don't realize how much fees can eat out from our <clears throat> gains. from our, our gains and our portfolios. And to this effect, um, I had uh, Ben Johnson, who is the global ETF chief or something like that with Morningstar on Ring and Sense a few months back. And we talked about active versus passive investing. And that was a very enlightening conversation in terms of uh, returns to to fee performance and things like that. And that's what's really important right? when you look at returns, especially at funds, is how much are you paying for what you're getting? If a fund that you are paying 2% for is giving you a 12% return and the S&P 500 can give you 8% on a 0.5% uh, ETF management fee, there is a big difference there, right? In terms of the more value may yep, be yep. just buying the, the S&P 500, for example. So that book really explained it. He explained very simplistically some of the biggest mistakes and problems with investing today. Um, that was a very powerful book for me, okay. for sure. I think I must have read it in 2015, 2016. All right. The next rapid question, it would be, I'm going to tie it to one of the books that you have on your shelf. Uh, 
Mm. I want to say the four-hour work week, the four-hour work week changed my life. I think it was probably not the most important book, but one of the top five quick books, a book that kind of really kind of, I would say pivoted or changed the trajectory of my life that I've read. Mm -hmm. It also changed my perspective on retirements or the idea of having more mini retirements in life rather than kind of deferring everything way, way, way beyond to like 50 or 60-ish. Uh, what's your idea of retirement? I know you mentioned that you want to work on a job that you don't have to force yourself to kind of use it to kind of generate income. But give me a dream scenario. How would retirement look like for Mr. Roshan? Ooh, dream scenario for... So we're talking about pure, like a like a, old, like a conventional theme of retirement, not a mini retirement. How would you like, how, what, how would you like to play out? I know you have like a metaverse in your brain, like based on the conversation you had today. <laughs> Ideally, like, how would you like it to play out? Okay, so... Let's talk about a conventional retirement, right? Mm. Let's say <clears throat> 60 years old, ideal world. Ideal world, I would have that <clears throat> 60 to 100,000 ringgit uh, in annually withdrawable funds mm. um, to bolster anything. So I wouldn't have to work, but I could. What I would do is then, honestly, I do this. I would do social media. I would do uh, maybe whatever equivalent of Clubhouse or Twitter spaces or whatever. I'd communicate with people more and if I could monetize that even better, right? Mm. I would I would thrive on that. I would build out my own communication house to say to in a, in a way. And just continue that, right? And if I could on at the, on on top of that continue being a licensed financial planner, I think that would really add to the whole package there. Um obviously we don't know where the future is going to go, right? But some of the times I see there are these, uh, the money guys on YouTube, and I, I like how they do the thing they do, right? That would be, I think, an ideal situation. But obviously, I'm talking about it from 31-year-old Roshan's perspective. But that would be, I think, awesome. Okay. Um, okay. Being able to do that, being able to also do um, some education on the side, whether it's with kids or whatever. In terms, again, focusing on that financial literacy perspective, uh, I think that would be very interesting. And I don't know what else could come up later on, but I don't think, I don't believe that I'm someone who can go without doing stuff. Um, and as long as I can keep doing things I love, I'm going to continue to do it. And if I can generate cash flow and monetize it, I'm going to continue doing that as well. Thankfully, hopefully I will have that, that backing, that financial freedom fund to ensure that um, I don't have to, basically I can continue to be authentic. I don't have to depend on the monetization, but I can do, again, I can continue doing the media things, it really does, Being doing media really does speak to my soul. Again, mm. cliche and corny, but that's how I, f I feel about it. Um, and I think that's why I've always, always been interested in the common theme over the last 10 years, because I started the blog in 2011, um, rkstots.com yep, in 2011. And that evolved to Instagram, which evolved to YouTube, which evolved to BFM. Mm. And uh, I'm actually, this week, going to start experimenting with more IG Reels and TikTok. I'm, I'm, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> but essentially, uh, I'm not sure if you saw over the weekend, I answered a whole bunch yep, of questions uh, on IG Stories. And that was 15 minutes of stories. That's a long time. And I thought, is there a way for me to compress that into 30 to 60 seconds? And, and do that on TikTok or whatever. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's going to take, but I think it'd be an interesting experiment to try before I start off at my new company. Okay. It's very fun. But, it's very fun yeah. watching your Instagram highlights, your Instagram stories. And oh. 
Thank you. To to your point that you mentioned, you felt like you had a huge uh, burden lifted off you after leaving. I do feel like the recent stories that you shared, I'm not sure whether it's still up. Um, you sound very relaxed. You sound like, <laughs> ah, man, I had I finally had a good sleep over the first good sleep in the past two years or something. That's the vibe that I, I received <clears throat> from the stories though. You know what? You know what it is? It is... Um, that a lot of it came from the confidence boost from all the comments that I was receiving. Mm. Um, I was finally comfortable that people valued me because before that I wasn't. Before that, I didn't think that. Uh, and that really did help. Like I finally realized that, oh, people value my views and my opinions and um, they like me, you know? And that's really, I know it sounds really childish, but it was, it really did play a role in all of that. Uh, because before that, the only comments I think I had gotten were negative ones over email and stuff like that. That I think really reinvigorated my soul and got me excited about doing stuff uh, in terms of social media. Also, like it was not it was not that after I left that I got excited. It was just that when I resigned, I realized that I've got to make the most of the time I have left at BFM. So I just did, um, and I could feel it. Like I could feel a certain level of like even more a bit of slightly manic excitement whenever we did the show, because I knew that every show I did was one less show I had. It's it's really funny in the sense that it's a bit of like a, <clears throat> yeah, it's a bit of like a bucket list, right? So even the, like the last week was fantastic. It's a lot of fun on the show. We could feel the vibe. I think it was a really good vibe uh, in the last week. And uh, I had the pleasure of uh, my colleague, Shazana Mokta, who's now uh, anchoring the show as well. Uh, she has, uh, she joined on this rotation, on my rotation. So that she can anchor going forward because i won't be there and she's doing such a great job uh, she just got on the scene uh, she just joined us on air a few weeks back and she's a natural at it she's got so vibrant uh as a listener when i'm listening to her i can i'm like i'm like i'm like I'm, i feel safe in your in your hands guide me through the day guide me through my morning tell me what's going on all the bad news and stuff like that um and being on air with her was a lot of fun because i have never i had never been on air with her before that so that was great that was a lot of fun um but yeah, I think back to that that point. I think it was just that one part of it was I was just trying to make sure that I made I made every day I had left at BFM count, mm. uh, particularly on air. And when it comes to the social media, the, it was really just all the positive comments that were coming in that essentially validated uh, my feelings and my views. Because before that, I didn't. Again, I think I mentioned it before. It was that imposter syndrome, right? Um, and I wasn't sure how much value I was providing. So that was, a, that was a little bit of like a crisis of confidence, not a crisis of confidence, but a lacking of confidence in some areas. But thanks for that. Uh, of course, um, I wasn't sure how to feel about the series of IG stories that day, but it did feel really vibrant from my end. Mm. And I'm hoping to do more of that uh, going forward. Looking forward as well. And I'll, just, just a quick one on imposter syndrome. Me sitting right here, right now, on this earphones, on this mic. It's massive imposter syndrome, bro. <laughs> But I don't know, I, I just felt one day, I think the the act of not doing or not starting a podcast, not talking to people that I feel have a lot of value that, you know what, selfishly, it's just using the facade of a podcast. Hey bro, you want to come on a podcast? It's a way to hook people that I'm interested to learn from, to listen to in. And I feel that, yes, every day I'm doing this, I'm still an imposter inside, but I'm not sure whether that feeling will go away, but it's a constant struggle that I'm okay with taking on every time I'm trying to do this. So that's just something I, I, I feel like I need to share with you. 
Okay. And that's a really great point, right? I think that is a really great point. Um, I think the thing with imposter syndrome is that a lot of us are going to constantly live with that and you got to find a way to find your value. But, um, dude, you're doing a great job. Like, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> I haven't even realized it's been two hours. It is? It's, it's, oh. it's yeah. Okay, okay. It's just under two hours and I've, I've had an uh, incredible, incredibly good time. And you've been a great host and you've taken me through it quite smoothly and um yeah uh thank you so much for this experience I, i'm really happy to finally finally get on the show <laughs> uh because i know we've had a few hiccups here and yeah, there yeah, and yeah. then i had a, a there was that point where i was starting to there was a bit of that the job situation was a bit fluid and so that's why i, I had to say to okay. pause it for a little bit uh, it's too bad we couldn't do it in person. Uh, I still, we still haven't met each other. Not well, just yet. Well, they can always, can always Thank be, you a, so much. be a part two when, when there needs to be one in the future. Uh, the Ringgit Plus, Roshan Kandesan 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, maybe <laughs> there'll be another feature. Last question, last rapid fire question. If you could put a billboard on Federal Highway or, you know what, whatever highway, uh, what's, what, what's the most jammed highway right now? Federal Highway should be quite clear on this lockdown. <laughs> What? Federal Highway, where the roadblocks are, is quite jammed. So where's the roadblock these days, huh? Uh, the 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 the, the arch. The oh, KL arch. okay, near Mid Valley, uh, Before Mid Valley. Near, it's very. It's on the road that uh, between Amcot Mall and EPF. Ah, got it. Well, got formerly it. EPF. Okay. Well, what would your billboard, Mister Roshan's billboard, say? Um, I think the the easy answer here is keep moving forward. That would be on the billboard for sure. Okay. Because keep moving forward means different things to different people uh the slightly cheeky one would be actually very recently um it's not cheeky it's just nerdy this uh, the slightly nerdy one was i actually uh saw a tweet recently uh asking what were the three words you would tell your 18 year old self and the three words that i would t tell my 18 year old self is dollar cost average <laughs> uh that's entirely what i would say to him i would go back and be like dollar cost average and then just disappear um, but also the other word, there are other like three, three sentence, three word sentences that came up, like start investing now and stuff like that. But ultimately it would be keep moving forward because again, that's relative to each person. You never know when someone needs to hear that. And, um, yeah, uh, KMF, keep moving forward. All right. All right. That's what it would be. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. KMF. Okay, maybe just one last one. I want to throw this in. What are you most excited to do post-lockdown? Post-lockdown, which has been promised post for the longest time, but hopefully lockdown. soon. Lockdown. I am excited to just go to a bar and have a drink with my friends. Oh, that sounds so good. Quiet, quiet drink. Doesn't have to be many people, but that's really about it. Um, the other thing I'm really quite excited to do at some point, once maybe things get a little better and all of that, is I used to do... Uh, very nerdy quizzes like things on Harry Potter and all of that. Um, obviously, I haven't done one in over one and a half years, but I miss it. I miss doing that, and I would love to do another quiz like that. I am currently trying to work out how to do it virtually. It's only taken me one and a half years to start looking <laughs> into this, but uh, yeah. Uh, but honestly, it's just to go out, dine in somewhere, um, and have a good meal with friends. Uh, you can do that at home, yes, sure, but. I mean, traveling and all are the easy answers. And I think everyone wants to travel to, for, to a certain extent. Um, and I, okay, you know what? I'm going to throw that in as well. I, I want to go on a holiday with my friends. Uh, maybe a nice beach holiday. Um, you know, just like rent a villa and just, just be there. You know, that would be nice. Uh, from, yeah. But the reachable one, 
is having a meal, a nice meal and a drink with friends uh, once things are safer, I guess. Fingers crossed we experience that sooner rather than later. Fingers crossed, man. Yep. Fingers crossed. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me primarily, uh, the two places would be Instagram and Twitter. Those are the most active uh, social media that I use. I'm also on Clubhouse. I'm also on Facebook. I have a Facebook page that's not really active. Uh, I have a Clubhouse that I haven't used in a while. Uh, but I also have a website. It's RoshanKaisen.com. Okay. Um, that's really it. I should All the links should be there. But ultimately, uh, it's Instagram and Twitter. Instagram being my number one social media platform followed by Twitter being the second. And I'm hoping that TikTok will become my <laughs> third most used one. All right, all right. Okay, so it's at Roshan Kanesan, I assume. Yes. Okay, yep. all right. So everyone, go and spam Roshan with your likes, with retweets, with loves. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure, pleasure speaking man. to you. Uh, can't wait to see you and meet you in real life uh, when the chance comes. Yeah. Yes, yes, uh, I am looking forward to that. Yeah. I really do want to catch up with you at some point. All right, all right. Thank you, everyone. Um, whatever links, whatever that we've discussed that needs relevant links, I'll leave it in the description below. And once again, thank you, Roshan, for the, um, the, 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 what's the word, accelerating past two hours that we've had together. <laughs> Thanks so much. It's been my pleasure, man. Thank you so much for the time. All right. Take care. Ciao.